0: My next guest, Sarah Faith, is a beautiful musician. She is stunning. But what's even more beautiful than the way she looks is her heart. She brings a rawness, a realness, and a lightness with her wherever she goes. Sarah currently lives in Nashville and recently moved there from Michigan on a whim. And get this. She went on a showing of her current home through FaceTime and then purchased it before even stepping foot inside. Now, some people may call this crazy, but others would call it faith. She now is happily living in Nashville with her husband, where she writes her own songs and performs regularly. She's got goats, a pony, and is living the good life. Now, don't let all this greatness mislead you into thinking she has lived an easy breezy fairy tale where everything just magically fell into place and landed in her lap. Yes, she's leading a pretty fantastic life, but the road that led her there had its challenges. When Sarah was just a little girl, she helped her father fight a custody battle for five years, and she was the one being fought for. Sarah openly shares many heart-wrenching parts of her upbringing through her music. She is an example of how we do not have to surrender to our childhood traumas, but that we can choose to find our way to the other side and create a beautiful life. Welcome. I am so happy to have you here today.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much for that intro. I don't <laughs> I definitely was not expecting that and I was not expecting to be emotional in minute number 1. <laughs> but alas, here we are. <laughs> oh my gosh,
0: I love Oh, that. Candace, thank
1: you so much. What a blessing, God.
0: <laughs> you are a blessing oh. and I just think it is so incredible. I love the way that you um believe that you don't have to be like a product of your upbringing that you get to choose what you do with all the adversity that that comes your way because i mean you kind of said before to me that everybody like 95% of people and i totally believe this to be true too come from like a crazy childhood and i mean even if it isn't trauma as kids, the things that we take on, the moments that happen, um, things that catalyst like cattle our lives in a certain direction. Um and, and our, the families that we're in, like we're just like born into these families and expected to all fit together perfectly, but different personalities and different upbringings definitely cause like chaos growing up. So I just love that you are an example that you get to choose what you do with it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm not going to say that I always believed that, you know, like your intro said, like, it's not like I woke up what, like when I was 10, you know, it's not like, I woke up and I was like, well, you know, one day I'm just going to get to choose what I get to do with this. No, it was hell. It was like a lot of hell. And like my family puts, all of the meaning into dysfunction, like completely. But I know that I'm not the only one. And I think that was kind of maybe the first step in like the revelation that like, okay, well, if I'm not the only one that has a completely dysfunctional family, then there's gotta be some people that are successful that also have dysfunctional families. Like why not try to turn this around and make it into something good I mean for all the hell that I've been through I might as well use it for my superpower anyway <laughs> good grief like,
0: yes I love that okay something so let's go there you said like you had a dysfunctional childhood so um what was it like can you take us back to your childhood and talk about what did it look like what was it growing up for you and what was like the dysfunction and the hell
1: that you live through as a child. Yeah. And this story has potential to get long. So I'll try to just keep it to the, the details that are pertinent anyways. Um, okay. So my parents were married, obviously they married when they were pretty young. And um, if my math is correct, they were together for like 12 years before they ever had me. Um, and then when I was five, my parents divorced. Um and my, I mean, my dad was like fighting this battle against my mom to like, try to keep her out of the bar and try to keep her out of the bowling alley and try to stop her from like smoking during my pregnancy. And like, this, this is crazy. Like she just wanted to do whatever she wanted to do, which explains quite a bit about me. But <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, my mom and dad divorced when I was five. And, and so then, uh, like when I was seven is when kind of my mom's alcoholism started to turn on me you know it's one thing when your kid is little and you're drinking and whatever and like my parents were together so I assume my dad was helping take care of me when I was a baby but I mean like then when my mom had me by herself and I'm like seven eight nine ten you know she got really unhappy with where her life was Um, and she was drinking away a lot of things and couldn't keep a job and couldn't keep a relationship and I was the only one that didn't have a choice of whether I stayed or went. So I got the brunt of it. Um, There was a lot of ugly things that I was told. Um, I was actually, you know, you mentioned my five-year custody battle with my dad. I was probably about 14, like once the custody battle was over, when I finally got the balls to ask my dad if it was true, what my mom had told me for years. Oh, your dad wasn't even there when you were born. He was playing golf instead. He never wanted you. And I was like, oh, well I have to go and spend every other weekend with my dad. And apparently he doesn't want me. So that was shitty. Um, and then by the time the weekend was over I was begging my dad not to take me home because that was also shitty. So like, I didn't want to go see my dad cause I was lied to and told he was this horrible guy. And then I would get there and be like, no, this guy's pretty all right. I actually don't want to spend time with you mom but I didn't have a choice because that's the way the courts work. Um, So I started begging to not go back. And my dad was like, you know, you have to, sorry kiddo. Like there's nothing I can do. But I think after a minute he was like, I think that she's telling the truth. You know, she's not just telling these childhood lies. Like, um, so we started doing custody battles and I was like seven and the court was like, no, Sarah gets straight A's, Sarah's this, Sarah's that. There's no proof that anything is going wrong. Well, Sarah actually gets straight A's because she doesn't want to be at home. And school is a really good way for her not to have to go home. So if she does really well at school, number one, she can prove to herself that she's not a complete degenerate like her mom keeps trying to convince her that she is. And the more time she spends at school at math Olympiad and all this other crap, the less time I have to go home, you know? I was begging my mom to enroll me in soccer, which she apparently couldn't afford, but I was like, no, I really have to do something to get myself out of this stupid house. This is insane. I mean, just like things being thrown, physical items being thrown at me, words being thrown at me, you know, just knock down, drag out fights until like wee hours of the morning. I was on the phone with my dad once and um, I wasn't supposed to be on the phone with my dad because... You're not supposed to tell what happens in the house. It's like Vegas. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. But I was like, I can't live this life. Like, this is insane. And she caught me on the phone and like yanked me to the ground, took the phone. out. I was just ugly. My dad called the cops and the cops came to the house. And, you know, my mom like was so like drunk at that point. Like I remember she answered the phone like, or she answered the door, like without clothes on. It was like really horrific. And like, I can kind of laugh at it now, but like at the time, like, like her addiction was literally eating her alive and, and it was destroying everything. It was destroying our relationship. It was destroying any chance she had at being a functioning adult. She lost every job she had through her addiction. You know, she lost custody of me after five years and she faked, like she gave up, but it was like, you don't have choice. Like at some point, you know, you're just going to lose it. Um, so I started living with my dad when I was like 12, just turning 13. And, um, and then we started a different kind of battle. You know, we started a depression battle and an anxiety battle because I think from the ages of seven to 12, I was like in survival mode. And I've always had the kind of personality that when things hit me, I kind of roll up my sleeves and deal with them. And I kind of, I kind of cry later. Mm-hmm. So, you know, once, once we got to the point where I was out of the situation and I was out of survival mode, I was like, okay, now we're in like grief mode and we're in like catastrophe mode and like try to figure out how to be a kid. Cause I wasn't allowed to be a kid. You know, I was the adult. And it was, you know, we entered a different, a different phase once we switched custody, but like, thank God, um, it was just a mess,
0: honestly. That just breaks my heart. Like being a teacher <sighs> and you saying that, yeah, it, some of these kids, it's like the safest place for them. Like summer honestly. is not, summer's not a fun time. The holidays aren't a fun time. Long weekends off aren't a fun time because school is the safest place. And like you said, it isn't, um, like blaring, like first, you know, you got straight A's. You are probably a wonderful student in school, like loved being there. And so, yeah, you can't maybe sometimes see it from the outside in because it is internal, right? Sometimes it's like an internal thing, a battle that children are going through. So like, thank God that you were seen, like your dad realized, like, you know, it sometimes kids might be like, oh, it's fun. It's funner at dad's house, or I get like no rules or get freedom or whatever. That might be a reason. But when you kept saying like, I want to be here, I don't want to go back here. This is what's happening. Thank God that he realized that yeah, it wasn't a good place and took some action. And did anybody else, like any of your teachers, did you speak to anybody at school about how you felt? Or like, what did you see about other kids and their families?
1: Oh, that is a loaded question. There are so many, we could talk for that, about that for like the entire (laughs) rest of the hour. Um, First of all, I want to say like, as a teacher, I until this moment, kind of forgot that you were a teacher. So like there were, like a handful of teachers that I was able to kind of confide in. So I don't know if you've ever had a kid like that confide in you. Um, But like, thank you. Because like, I know that being a teacher is not an easy thing. Um, I think that a lot of teachers end up doing quite a bit more parenting than what they signed up for. Um, And you get these kids for like, you know, seven hours a day. And then they go home and go back to their habits. And you're like, man, I just kind of fixed them. Like, (laughs) it's like probably so many kids that come in and they like wreak havoc for the first hour. And then you're like, Billy, you just need to freaking settle down kid. And he's like, okay, okay. I'm in my safe place. And then we're good. But then we go home and then we do another sleep. And then we come in and we're just a disaster again in the morning. And I know I did that to a lot of teachers. Um, So if any of them are listening, which I don't know if they are, but like, I'm sorry. Like, I'm just (laughs) really sorry. Like, I was, I was, I was all of the above. I was the problem child, um, because I wanted, I needed the attention and I needed to, um, I needed to feel loved. And I so often didn't feel loved in my own household, which is a really hard place to be as a young girl. Um, especially when the person that's not making you feel loved is your mother. Um, that's a really hard connection that I just never felt like I really had. Um so I was lashing out, I was loud, I was crazy. I was Sarah, you need to calm down. You have too much energy. I'm like, I know, but like I can't. Like I don't know what to do with my hands. Um and then there was an English teacher that I had in I think 7th grade. And what the frick was her name? I don't remember. I remember exactly what she looked like. And I remember that we had journaling time during this English class. And um you know there were times when the prompts let me write about things that were hurting me so bad. And there were times when I just ignored the prompt altogether and just wrote whatever the hell I felt like writing. Cause That's what I needed to do. And I think initially I didn't know that we had to turn these in. Um, and at the end of the week, we turned them in. And I remember she pulled me aside and she asked me if I was okay. And I said, no, I'm really not okay. Um, I'm not making up these things that I'm putting in my journal that would be a sick twisted thing for a 12 year old to do. Um, no, these are all factual things, very factual things. And I remember her, um, I don't know if she did anything or, or sent me to the counselor's office or anything, but I just remember feeling like, like I was, it was okay to be a mess. You know, that was probably the first time that I had ever felt like it was okay to be a mess. And like, I didn't have to put on a show for people at school because that was the other half of it too. Like when I was at school, it was like, you know, this is where I don't have to be home, but this is also where I don't have to show the ugly parts of my reality. You know, I get to come here and I get to be like, okay, like I can try to be someone that's worthy of having friends. Like, what does that kid look like? You know, what does, what would it be like if I was the funny kid? Like, what would it be like if I was the loud kid? Like, what if I was the, athletic kid. Like I'm pretty good at sports. Like what if I was that, like, would that get me friends? And just like experimenting with all these things on how to get friends and how to just make the most of while I was there because I, you know, going home was not super
0: fun. So. And you, you're an only child. So it's not even like you had a sibling or someone else to have, you know, to be at home with.
1: Honestly, thank God. Like I think about what it took to get me out of that situation. And at the time, yes, I wished I had siblings. I used to cry to my mom. Mom, I want a sister. Mom, I want a brother. Also, mom, I want my name to be Stephanie. I don't know what the hell that was about, but I used to cry so much. Like, why did you name me this name? I hate this name. I want my name to be Stephanie. I don't know what the fuck came from. I have no clue but I wanted it really bad and I didn't get the brother, the sister or the name change. So here we are. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah, I mean, in hindsight, I mean, I had to parent myself and there was a lot of times I like looking back, like I ate cookies for breakfast and I ate shit for lunch because like, I didn't have the wherewithal to know that I needed to do something else. So like, I can't imagine trying to get two of us through that or three of us through that. Like, plus addiction runs so strong in my family. Who's to say I wouldn't have had to deal with their mess too. My mom started drinking. She was 14. Like, I don't know why I didn't start just drinking whatever I saw. I saw that she was doing it. I could have done it. The beer was in the fridge and the liquor was in the cabinet. Like it was all there, but I was like, no, this lady's a mess. (laughs) Like I want to leave, you know, but like, if I would have had a brother or sister, like maybe it would have turned out that way. There's just no telling.
0: Right. Like you are a survivor. You've okay. So that, um, was your childhood, your upbringing. You didn't really have a chance to like be a kid and do the things that, you know, everyday kids would do go and play and use your imagination and kind of let loose and escape. Did you, um, tap into that as you grew older or?
1: um... I think I'm still in the process of living my childhood. If I'm being honest, (laughs) I mean, I have two goats. I have a pony. I have three dogs. I have the most amazing husband that allows me to just be myself every day. And if you look through my window at any given moment, I'm probably like running around dancing like a crazy person. Like Candace, I'm not kidding. Like a crazy person. And I don't need music. Like I am a child and it's liberating. It's so fun. And I mean, sometimes it makes me want to feel like just going up to random strangers and being like, don't take yourself too seriously. Like your childhood is not over. It's right now. Like I just want to like scream at people, but I mean, I really, if I think about it, I think it's like that inner child that just comes out, you know, like, you know, I climbed trees and I fell down and I rode my bike and skinned my knees and stuff like that. But it all came with like this looming thing of like, you know, it was like all on skate, honestly. Mm. You know, I didn't get to run around just for the sake of running around. I got to run around because I was running away. You know, I went and played with the kids in the neighborhood, even if they were dicks, because they were nicer than what I was otherwise dealing with. I didn't care if kids were nice. Kids made fun of me all the time, but I didn't care because it, it wasn't half as bad. You know, no one could do what my mom did, honestly. Like you could call me every name in the book and I'd be like, okay, that's fine. I try harder. Like, (laughs) whatever. Like, yes, bullying is a thing, but like when you're already that thick into it. It's like, you got nothing that can hurt me, (laughs) like whatever. Mm -hmm. And I think it, you know, in a way it probably turned me into a little more of a hard ass kid than I really should have been. But I mean, it's, it's all survival survival when when you're young. It's all survival.
0: Yeah. So you went, like you said, you went on autopilot and basically just survived it all. When your dad finally got custody Um, and then the depression and all the other stuff came, what did that look like for you? And how did you like overcome some of the challenges that you had previously faced?
1: Well, um, at the risk of being like super doom and gloom, I guess I'll just like, I always do. I'll just tell you like it is. Um, you know, my dad and I, we had a pretty good relationship, but honestly, I didn't really know the guy, um. I had been told a lot of stories about him growing up, uh, a two day weekend isn't enough time to confirm or deny. So I was just going wherever the car took me, you know, my dad picked me up. My dad dropped me off, whatever. Um, so then when I started living with him full time as like a 12 or 13 year old girl, which is not like a super fun time in any adolescence <laughs> life anyway. So like, no, Add the fact that I'm like thrown into living with a dude. And it's like, I don't know what the hell I'm supposed to do. Like, I can't talk to him about really anything that's going on. Like, I don't have any friends to talk to about anything that's going on with my body. Like, that was a shit storm in and of itself. But I think I just felt lost. And I was trying to, you know, make the best of it. Because, I mean, I always was a tomboy. Like, I always have been that way climbing trees like the whole bit like super into sports like could give a crap about a skirt a dress or anything like that they just got in my way you know I just couldn't be bothered um so I was just like I was like the son and the daughter and we were you know watching hockey and basketball and and he was teaching me how to play golf and and that was like our bonding time so that was great um But other than that, I think I was really questioning, like, you know, I'm I'm just being kind of tossed around. And, you know, my mom called me and was like, you know, you're not welcome to come back in this house. Like you, you know, if you and your dad really want this, you better make sure because you're not coming back in this house. And I'm like, it's you can't fire me, I quit. Is that what this is? Like, this is crazy. Like, it's insane. So, like the first little bit was like kind of just trying to figure out, okay, here we are now what? And then I think it all kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. And I was trying to figure out what to do with all the pain that I was experiencing. And my mom and I had gone to therapy, but like it didn't last very long because she wasn't under the impression that we needed it. And she could never admit that she had a problem. And it was like, I mean, but you do have a problem. You're like ruining everything. So um, we didn't get very far that way. And um, you know, my dad, we had moved and we were living in this other house in Lake Orion and I had my own room. Obviously I always had my own room, but like it was upstairs and kind of away from the hubbub and I would just kind of go in there by myself all the time. And, and I started, you know, taking it out on myself for lack of a better term. And I won't go into detail, but you know, I had a lot of like suicidal thoughts and I really was a mental hazard to myself. Um, And my dad, you know, one day he just kind of like walked in and was like, what are you doing? And I was like, I had not nowhere to hide anymore. Um, and I just had to explain to him, like, I am not okay. Like, and I was trying really hard to like put on the face and keep getting the straight A's and keep being involved in the things and play the soccer and do the choir and just over excel in everything so that nobody will know what's wrong. But I was like internally combusting, like going down quick. And, you know, he was like, uh, okay, I guess we need therapy and we need it now. Um, and I thought I was fine. I still was in denial. I was like, no, I can handle it myself. You know, I've, I've handled everything myself. What's the difference? You know? So I'll say that like, as much as I hated it at that point, that was probably the biggest turning point And like the biggest thing that literally saved my life, um, was my dad walking in that day. And, being like okay we need some serious help um and I started going to therapy at school but then I started going to like real therapy and started having the discussion of you know this isn't this isn't just a flu or a cold this is like depression this is this is big so mm. before I just thought that I would get through it and and it you did wasn't you did. eventually was yes pilot, but but Not alone. I mean, I thought that I was going to be able to get through it alone because I could do anything. I I was the one running around collecting evidence at my mom's house as to why my mom was not a fit mom. Like that was me. I'm, you know, I, I can handle this. I can do this. I've got this. I can juggle all the things and I'm 13 and completely crumbling.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah. You did survive it and get through to the other side, but then yeah, the real work starts is when you go inside and heal all of the things that had happened. And yeah. So thank goodness that your dad came in that day. So then you started oh, therapy, got on the road. Awful. To
1: Candace, it was awful. Like if I could go back and change any moment in my life, it would be the day my dad walked in my room that day because like, he had just gone through five years of hell trying to get me. And then I was there trying to destroy it. Like, mm. I don't make a habit of regretting many things in my life, but like, what was I doing? You know, like I know I was doing what I thought I had to do, but like, I well,
0: didn't, I didn't make, I didn't make it easy on him at all. It all happened in divine timing because yeah. yeah, that was the point in time that it was like you, yeah, you couldn't do it on your own. I know so many kids feel like, you know, that they've got to just tough it out and do it on their own and handle things. But um, yeah, thank goodness. I know probably wasn't a great moment, but that was probably <laughs> like a pivotal moment in your journey to recovery and to, yeah. And to all the healing yeah. that had to follow. I want to know when did, um, you get into music? I saw a picture and I don't know if it was your mom with you at the piano mm-hmm. when you were that a was little, yeah. that was your mom. So when were you introduced to music and how did that kind of evolve into?
1: Yeah. I think my, both of my parents are huge music fans and, um, you know, my dad, if, if they had anything in common, like my parents, like what I know of them, like, I don't know what it was like when they met. I wasn't here. I don't know what it was like 12 years before I was born. I wasn't here. But like, if I had to guess, like one thing that they maybe had in common because everything else seemed so polar opposite and they couldn't even be on the phone together without punching each other in the face, like if that was possible, like they just did not get along on any front, however, if I had to guess, it would probably be music that they agreed on maybe (laughs) um my mom was more into like country music and my dad was more into like rock like 70s and 80s stuff and 90s alternative and that kind of stuff so um there was always music playing wherever we were going you know I probably was singing something before I could talk um I would you know sing in the back of my mom's car I would sing anything that was on the radio when my dad and I were driving around you know my dad's not a dude of a million words. So if the music is on, I'm like, okay, I can make this silence go away real quick. I can just sing to you. Like it's all good. Um, so yeah, I, I, think like, you know, just in like that picture of my, obviously I don't remember. I was, I hadn't even have hair, the picture. Like I don't even have hair. Like I'm so young. I'm still bald, which is crazy. Cause now I have a lot of hair. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, I don't honestly remember that, but, um, Yeah. I mean, it just was always around. Like my dad was part of a CD club and had like 6,000 CDs and like all the time music everywhere. Wow.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So when did you um, tap into it or like, did you initially use it as an outlet to kind of um, for your healing or, or to, or is it something that you just uh, fell into or was natural to you? Like where um, did your passion for singing and songwriting come
1: from? So I can remember as early as like fourth grade, um, you know, Candice, you do have kids. Yes. Okay. Are we to the point yet where we are in music education and we're bringing home the recorder? We are not yet. Okay. All right. So in fourth grade, I don't even know if they do this anymore. Maybe they do. Hopefully they do because music is so good for kids. And when schools take that away, it pisses me off. Anyway, that's not what this is about. Um, I was in fourth grade and I had a music class that was part of the curriculum. It wasn't elective. It was part of the curriculum. And so we started this recorder thing, which is like, dude, like it's awful. It's horrendous. It's (laughs) you <laughs> it's the worst it's every parent's worst day in their life when their child brings home their recorder but like I was always really good at math and math and music for whatever reason go together really well and I I picked up this like music reading thing like so quick I don't know why or how or whatever but like I was reading the notes I was reading the rhythms I was playing things and I was like this is fun like I'm good at this And so I just kept going, like, I just kept, you know, give me the next book, give you know, whatever, what I was like, the, like, however, I don't even know how to explain this, but like, when you find something that you really love to eat, and you eat all of it, like that was me with when I found something that I could put my brain on, you know, like, Mm -hmm. okay, that's cool. I want all of it that's great. It takes my mind off of that. I want all of it. Like math. Okay. I want all, of it. I was in all the advanced math. I was just like trying to consume information as fast as I could get it. Like to the point of actually getting a detention one time, cause I was doing things faster than other kids. And I was pissing my teachers off. Like they were like, you need to stop. I was like, you don't understand. <laughs> like, <laughs> fine, give me the detention. I don't care. I'll do like, more.
0: Yeah. It's fine.
1: It was crazy. So I started doing all this music stuff. And then when I changed to live with my dad, I was in seventh grade and I could join choir. So I was like, okay, I'm pretty good at this music as far as the recorder goes. Let's try singing. And so it just started, it came to me. I mean, I don't know. It just, I could read music already so I was like okay well if I can read it and I know what it's supposed to sound like then maybe I can just make that sound with my mouth and here we go so I joined choir when I was in seventh grade and I stayed in choir from seventh grade until college I mean I in college I had a a scholarship to be in choir at college which was like awesome so yeah it just kind of stuck with me I don't know I started consuming and then I just couldn't get enough
0: Wow. So when did you, okay. I know you had, um, kind of like a photography business that you created from the ground up. Um,
1: <laughs> it makes zero sense and we can talk about it.
0: I know it's like, okay. D- did you do that? Cause it was like, came natural. Was it easy route? Just whatever. Or like, I know that you did that and then you made the decision to, Leave that behind, move from Michigan to Nashville on a whim and kind of pursue your music career. So, like, how did that all happen? <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, here's the Cliff Notes. So, I get out of college and I started working at my college, and I was in sports. I, sports was my life. I played four years of college soccer and I worked in the athletic department in stats through college to help earn money. Cause I was dirt poor. I was like, I have nothing like, As if I had time for a job anyway, I was playing soccer full-time, I was in fire full-time, I was in school full-time, and I was like, let's get a job. Matter of fact, let's get two jobs. What am I, stupid? (laughs) What's wrong with me? So, okay, I'm working two jobs. I'm working one job in admissions, giving campus tours, telling people why they should come to Elma College, which I loved, by the way. And then I was working a second job in the athletic department doing stats of sports of any kind, like math guru to the rescue, like all the things, like we had 21 sports at Alma and I was statting them all like baseball, which by the way, baseball is not easy to stat, especially as a female, like nobody believes you when you call something a hit or an error, people are like, we don't believe you. I'm like, okay, then get out of my press box. Anyway. So I graduate from there and the athletic department had bought two video boards, one for the football field and one for the basketball arena and they didn't know how to use them. So like me, I was like, I can figure this out. I know how to do this. I didn't know anything about how to do it. I knew nothing. But I found a random camera that I don't know where it came from. I think I borrowed it from the marketing department. And I started making these like videos. And I didn't know what the hell I was doing. But I was like, well, maybe we could use these video boards to like do pump up videos before the games. Like everyone's doing that. Like, why aren't we doing that? So I started using a camera for the first time in my life. I had never touched a camera before that ever. And I was like, let's see. So I was taking photos of people sliding into first base trying to stay. I was just trying to take as many action photos as I could because I, I knew sports, I know where the action is. I just had to find out how to make a picture of it. So I started making all this random stuff and they're like, hey, this is pretty cool. So they decided to hire me after I graduated. So I worked there for two years and then I was like, okay, this sports thing is cool. Let's go do more sports. So I went to a division one school that was where I kind of close to where I grew up, Oakland University. And I did a graduate assistantship and in their sports information department, they paid for my master's degree and I got to do a bunch of cool sports stuff there as well. Um, I also decided to do graphic design on the side um, because it earned me more money and I could pay my rent, which was nice. Um, so that's, I had, you know, I just kept doing my graphic design thing and my video thing. Cause they were like, Oh, crazy. A stat girl with other skills. Let's milk that for all it's worth. And I was like, all about it. I was like, yes. So, um, then I graduated from there and I was like, okay, I don't want to do the sports thing anymore. It's kind of sucking me dry. It's really hard to be a female in sports, mm-hmm, whatever. Let's not get into that. Um, and so I started working in corporate America as a graphic designer, and I was like, I don't have the personality for this. I otherwise can't stand this. Um, also can't stand when I say this is the salary that I need and I get laughed at. That kind of pissed me off a little bit, and I was not asking for a lot of money, but I got laughed at, and I was like, I actually hate all of this. I go to work in my car and get stuck in traffic. I show up at work pissed off. I spend eight hours of work a day with people that I don't really like, and then I'm pissed off. And then I go home in traffic and I'm pissed off. Like, why am I doing this? So I called my dad and I said, dad, I hate everything I'm doing. I literally hate it. I can't stand it. (laughs) I'm gonna start a photography company And if I end up living in the basement, that has to be okay. Okay. And he said, what? Like, (laughs) Okay. Sure. Do you need a small business loan? I was like, no, I think I got, I think I got it. Like, so I never took out a loan from him or from otherwise. I don't even know if he was offering or if he was going to be like, well, here's where you go to get one. Like, (laughs) thanks dad. (laughs) but I never lived in the basement and I never took out the loan. So I literally created this photography company out of nowhere for no reason. I didn't know what I was doing. I was shooting weddings. I didn't know how to do that. I was videoing weddings. I didn't know how to do that. I just like kind of made it up, kind of got advice while I went along, but like I did it for five years. And I made a decent living at it. So that was cool. Wow. Yeah. put it in a dumpster and moved to Nashville. (laughs) So there.
0: Yes, I know. Okay. So five years you're doing this thing that you just Um, stumbled upon, made mm -hmm. it work, paid your rent. And then you and your husband, like this story blows (laughs) me away and I love it because it is something that I totally would do like sign me up. Um, like you had said, you went over the state line and we're like, this feels like home to me. Yeah. And then, yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about how you and your hubby got a realtor in and all that stuff and how you ended up in Nashville now performing regularly and all the things.
1: Yeah. So I lived in this cute little neighborhood in Michigan called Sylvan Lake. And I was friends with some of the girls in the neighborhood and we had like a Couple's night out to the big bar in the area, which is like no bigger than the studio I'm sitting in. Uh, Mary Donnelly's, it's really tiny. They have really terrible food, but really good service. And it's really like, it's cozy. If nothing else, it's cozy in there. I mean, you can literally have six people in there and all high five, it's amazing. So we're like, we're gonna go sing karaoke. Cause you know, once people find out it's, here's the thing when people find out you can sing, they're like, oh, let's go to karaoke. We're not gonna sing, but Sarah will. And I'm like, guys, like I'm not a circus monkey. Like, <laughs> that's not what this is. Like, I mean, I'll sing you some Etta James but I'm not gonna sing like 10 songs. The rotation is too large. Um, Anyway, so we go out to this thing, and I don't. I think I sang Carrie Underwood that night, and there was this lady at the back of the bar, and she was talking to my husband, and we were just engaged at that point. But my husband has this thing where he goes in public, and everyone thinks they know who he is, and we've been approached with multiple different names on multiple occasions. Oh, you're that guy, Todd. He's like, no, my name's Ryan. Like, and one guy one time was like, Are you sure I could have? He's like yes I'm sure my name's not I I know my own thanks whatever so I thought it was one of those cases where he was like oh this is someone I knew and blah 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 no it was this really sweet lady named Kimmy Lynn and she was a local resident and she knew of a band that was looking for a backup singer and she thought I was awesome and she thought I should audition and I thought she was high I was like I'm just here at this tiny hole in the wall singing karaoke and you think I should be in a band. You're hilarious. Like, what are you talking about? So she sends me the information. I got in touch with the guy. I had an audition at the end of the audition. He says to me, I have two more auditions scheduled this week, but I already know that you're the backup singer that I want. I really just, I have to do this for formality, but I, I know that you're the, you're the girl. And I was like, okay, cool. So I'm in this band And we're traveling around and whatever and i did that for about a year maybe a little over a year and we took a trip to nashville to cma fest 2019 and um like exactly like you say i was in the van with five dudes and it was not awesome if you can't imagine, it's not awesome to be in a van, with five dudes. Like I had my noise canceling headphones on and I was like, please don't speak to me. Like, I just want to be in my own world. I will sit in the back back. You don't have to worry about me. I don't take up much space. Um, (laughs) and it was just like, just get me there. I don't care. We crossed the. It was like dark out like nighttime when we finally pulled into Tennessee. And I like, remember literally sitting up and being like, are we in Tennessee? And they're like, yep. I was like, huh, feels different. All right. So we, you know, we're walking around, Ryan came with me because we were, you know, I don't know. He wanted to come and went to scout out the area. We'd never been here before and whatever. And, um, actually, no, I misspoke. He came with me the second time we came to Nashville. The first time we went to Nashville is when I got this funny feeling Mm. and we stayed in the Airbnb and everything was great. And I was like, This feels so different, and I feel different, and I like it a lot. So, then when we came down for CMA Fest, then Ryan came with me because it was very strange how the universe moves when you say, when you entertain, like this crazy idea comes in my head, like, oh, I could live here. Normal human reaction is, no, 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 my whole life is in Michigan. I have a company that I've been doing for five years. I shouldn't screw that up. That's not how my brain works, obviously. Apparently, I was like, I'd consider it. And so the universe is like, oh, dang it. She's in. Okay. So then we'd go to, we'd be performing at shows or whatever. And someone would walk up to me and be like, Hey, when are you going to do your own solo thing in Nashville? And I'd be like, I've never said that to anybody. That's not like a thing. I don't know where you got that information, but you can forget it. Cause that sounds crazy. But like people kept asking. And so I was like, I don't think that these people are crazy. I mean, yes, they are, but like not entirely. So I started talking to Ryan about it and he was like, I mean, we could do it. And I was like, what's, what's wrong with you people? (laughs) You know, like the universe keeps saying like, you need to go, you need to go. And then your husband says, yeah, we could go. And I'm like, you're in on this. Like, what the hell? So, um, yeah, he was like, well, let's just get a realtor over here and see what it, see what she says. And she's like, oh, I could, I mean, I could sell this house. We had redone the entire thing. We put a stamped concrete patio on it. We redid the interior. We really like did this baby up good. Like we are, we are chipping Joanna Gaines. Like <laughs> this is a shiplap wall that we created as well. So you can tell. I noticed
0: that, Yeah, This
1: is a metal ceiling panel that I got in an antique shop. Like it's just, you know, it's just how we work. We just like that kind of thing. So that's what we did to this house. And it was by a lake and it was super marketable. She was like, oh, I can get you vastly above what you think you can get for this house and we were like okay lady prove it and she's like well i have someone that would probably buy this house tomorrow it wasn't those people that bought it but it was the next people we sold our house before it was even on the market for drastically above what we even thought we might get for it so we were like okay now we don't have a house now what do we do now you gotta buy a house okay well nashville is kind of a hot spot for people moving here i think they say like 100 people move here like a day or something ridiculous. I don't know, a lot, it's a lot. All trying to do the same thing. But we were like, okay, well, we wanna buy a house. We're not renting, we're not half in. Like if we're in, we are in. So we're gonna buy a house. Okay, well, we had met a realtor at a bar when we were down here for CMA Fest and we talked to her. It was crazy how that happened as well. Um, So we were talking to her and everything that she kept sending us that we liked, kept being under contract. So like, we didn't have time to get down, excuse me. We didn't have time to go to Nashville and look at a house. It was like, you see something, you like it, you buy it. Like that's otherwise you'll be looking forever. Yeah. So I was like, okay, well, we really like this one. Can you set an appointment for tomorrow? Call me on FaceTime, go through the house, make sure everything's legit and we're going to buy it. And she was like, what? I was like, yeah, for real. Like, we're not joking. She calls me on FaceTime. She's knocking on walls, knocking on countertops, making sure everything's good. The people we bought from had built this house two years prior for themselves. And they just decided that they wanted to do a bigger house because, you know, whatever. They wanted to have a baby and have a family and all this stuff. And I'm like, all right, cool. That's great. Well, you didn't chins out on this because you built it for yourself. So here you go. So Ryan's like, put the full price offer in. We're approved for it. We'll be fine. Everything's going to be good. And She was like, "Uh, don't you want to see the house? And he's like, no, we're good. Okay. So the first time that he ever set foot in this house was after he had already signed on it. We already owned it. I came earlier because I came down for the inspection. He did not come for the inspection, but I was here and I was like, yeah, it's great. You know? And the guy was like, this house is amazing. I would buy this house. I was like, babe, we're good. Everything's great. Sign, field delivered. We're done. From the time we had Jan Hayes come over to our house in Michigan, to the time we moved here, it was like 45 days, no joke. Like it was up, it was in, we're in the house. We're putting boxes in the house. We live in Nashville now, hooray. Like what happened? <laughs> Holy
0: shit. Everything was in alignment. Like BAM, bam. Yeah. when you were ready and where you just like let go and gave it up, like whatever needs to happen, throw my photography stuff in the trash bin. Uh, the way that you felt and just following that, like it just lined up perfectly,
1: you know, and I really sometimes think like, it sounds crazy to put a company that you worked for five years to build in a dumpster and light it on fire. But like, I knew that if I, cause people were like, Oh, well you could take pictures in Nashville and that could be your side hustle. And I'm like, I don't want a side hustle. If I'm going to do this, I'm going to freaking do it. And I'm not going to put my foot in two ponds. I'm not going to keep a safety note. I'm not going to have a backup plan. Like if the universe is like, go to Nashville and do this thing on your own. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to be not pulling in a lot of coin from the beginning, but I guess we'll figure it out. I don't know. I love that. We're just figuring it out. Yeah.
0: Trust that everything is just (laughs) unfolding as it should. Okay. So what is happening now um, in Nashville? What are things like for you in the music scene?
1: Um, Well, I've created a full band, Um, I have produced an album, well co-produced, Ben Miller produced my album, and we just released it, tomorrow is five weeks, Uh, I released it on June 11th, it's called Lessons from the Archives, Uh, I wrote a shit ton of songs during COVID, because I couldn't really do anything, I did world's greatest number of Instagram and Facebook lives, uh, because I couldn't do anything else, so I just hung out in my studio and made music in here, and tried to get it out to anyone who would listen, Um, so then, you know, we made the album. This is like the fastest version of all of this that I could ever possibly tell. Um, I submitted one of the songs to a competition. I'm involved in a competition right now. Hopefully by the time this podcast airs, we will know that I have won said competition. Um, there's a pretty badass grand prize involved in winning that. Um, and we're just in the flow, honestly, like it's, we've been here for almost two years and it's flowing because I just, I wake up in the morning and I do what I think I should do to move the needle. And I write a song if I feel like it, uh, if I really feel like I have something to say. And, you know, I just thank God that I have a story to tell that I believe will help a lot of people. Um, And I thank God for my, um, I guess, willingness to marry all of my therapeutic poetry from my past with my lifelong music passion um, because I really think that I've got something good cooking here and um, and I'm just going to kind of ride the wave, you know?
0: Mm, That gives me goosebumps. Like I (laughs) think it's such a beautiful thing and I know that your story is going to resonate with so many people and change people's perspectives on so many things. There were so many things that you threw down in this, that people are oh just not rethink the way that they are living. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. I think that's my hope too, is like, I've had to rethink that, you know, I had to rethink that, you know, being on the ledge of, do I want to live or not? That was a major rethink moment. And I've had 700 of them since then, like rethinking. I mean, how many things did I rethink in my whole life? I I want to be in sports and eh. I want to do photography. Eh. You know, we're going to live in Michigan. Nah, like it's all a rethink. It's all a pivot. It, it you just kind of keep answering where you feel called. Oh, I love that. That is a gem because
0: I think a lot of people get stuck in that just because they've done what they've done or they might even be good at it just because you're good at something or it's just where you are, what you've done. Like you aren't committed for life. Like you have, mm-hmm. The opportunity to go down different paths and you know, do something that fires you up for a while. And if it doesn't anymore, then to, you know, pivot, like you said, or do something different. You are not like stuck in the cement with your feet there. You get to choose. And I love that you just allowed yourself to um make your choices on what felt good for you uh, Mm -hmm. in your soul with without having all the answers it maybe wasn't logical or like, you know what I mean? You just are flowing with it and seeing where it all goes.
1: Yeah. And I think also just like one more little thought is like, I feel like I spent my entire childhood fighting myself and I was just ready to put it down and stop fighting myself. So I'm like, okay, God, okay. Universe. Okay. soul. like, what can we do to make up for lost time? Kind of, you know, not in like a morbid way, but like I didn't get to do whatever I wanted as a kid, like we talked about. And I think like, it doesn't matter if that was your childhood or not. Like, if you feel like you don't get to do what you want to do, like, it's okay to think again, because you sure shit do get to do whatever you want to do. You don't get to choose whether you have a tomorrow or not. So you better figure out if you want to do what you're doing right now or not. So, so (laughs) powerful. Yes. I love that.
0: Yeah, so many people are going to be rethinking like their current situation. Is this, is this for me? Is this lighting me up or how can I shift and do something different? If you need help
1: jumping off the ledge, DM me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I will and jump with you.
0: <laughs> She'll be your biggest cheerleader. Either way, we're jumping. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a song like I listen to all your songs? Do you have one like jump off the ledge,
1: let go, surrender, just like. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. So when I was in Michigan, I had this song called jump and I wrote it. And then like, being that it was like one of the first songs I had ever written, I threw it in the ditch like a long time ago, but like, maybe I should resurface that. But like, uh, yes, it was like, the chorus was like, what's going to happen. What's, go- what's gonna What's going to happen. Like it was basically, you know, what's the worst thing that could happen it was basically the moral of it. Like, and in the hook of it was like, you know, we'll figure it out, but first you have to jump. Like, You don't get to be like, okay, like what happens if I jump? Like, no, that's not how it works. You have to go first and then figure it out. No one's going to be like, well, when you jump, you could break your leg and blah, blah, blah. But it could be awesome. Maybe there's a trampoline. Maybe there's a paradise. Maybe there's a swimming pool. Just jump anyway. Like you're not going to die. I swear. Like whatever happens, you're not going to die.
0: Uh, you better pull that out of the ditch. And that one will, yeah, I think so many people need to hear that. So,
1: yeah. Okay. Next, I'll consider let, it. Let, let me know.
0: Yeah. Let me know. Let me have like it's the like first listen.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> love it. Okay. So I'm going to end off here with a few final questions. Okay. Uh, first, I have a would you rather round and then a couple okay. questions send off. Okay.
1: I love it. First,
0: would you rather goat or a pony?
1: god this is so hard candace why um okay and i'll say goat only because the shit is smaller that's the only reason <laughs> otherwise pony if, oh, if someone would it. scoop the crap for me pony
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay next one french braid or waves
1: french braid because it leads to waves
0: mm. Loophole.
1: Mm love it
0: uh acoustic or electric
1: electric every day love it uh mountains or lake mountains climb baby climb
0: <laughs> city or country country domestic or foreign Ooh.
1: i'm a traveler i like foreign
0: foreign and last one of, would you rather singing or playing?
1: Honestly, playing, playing, playing. I really, oh man, I've, I have fallen into this deep love with my guitar ever since I really soaked up my curiosity with it. And I love playing. Mm,
0: it's so incredible. Like the sound that comes out of it, what you can do to create sound. Like I just, yeah. that feeling, yeah, is incredible. Okay. So here are my last final questions. Uh, one, so what has been the hardest mountain you've had to move and what was on the other side of it?
1: Okay. The hardest mountain I had to move was we didn't even touch on this. I lost three family members in 18 months. My mom, my grandma, my uncle, I was the executor of all their estates because of the side of the family it's on and the direction that I chose to go with my life. So everyone entrusted all of their things to me, which did not make me very many fans in my family, as you can imagine. Um, We moved at the same time, we got married at the same time, and all of that shit created probably the darkest hole of my life, darker than previous. Um, But what I got out of it was my husband and I rolled up our sleeves, we went to therapy, we did daily devotional, We rebuilt everything from the ground up. And now we have the best marriage and I have the best life that I could ever, ever ask for. How beautiful. Love that.
0: Um, If you were on The Voice and got a four chair turn and you could pick from any of the coaches that have ever been on the show, who would you pick and why?
1: Probably Gwen Stefani because... Her back in no doubt is my spirit animal. Like that like punk thing that she had created was like goals for me. And I'm still that girl. Like, I think it would probably be her just because I know that she would, we would vibe on like how different we are.
0: Yes. I can totally see that. Yeah. She's like the stunning, beautiful, like, uh, throw your shit down, kick ass, do whatever, say whatever you want. And yeah, yeah. Tap into your uniqueness and and if I
1: ever looked like that at her age, like I would be so freaking grateful. Like, damn, like wear your ponytail as tight as you want, girlfriend. It is working for you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, she definitely has some good <laughs> genes. She is yeah. just stunning too. Um, okay, so if you could collaborate with another musician, who would you pick?
1: Alive or dead?
0: Uh let's do one of each.
1: Okay uh, Alive, probably Stevie Nicks or Lindsay L, uh, or John Mayer, if I'm allowed to pick three instead of one, cause I'm an overachiever dead, probably Freddie Mercury.
0: Wow. Love it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I cannot wait till, um, you get with one of those three and make some tunes, put it up. Yeah. Well, list. and the list goes on.
1: I mean, Chris Ableton, um, who else? Katie Pruitt, Grace Potter, like whatever. There's like a lot. Throw list. them all out There's into a lo- that we're just world. Gonna all the world. Just all things like all of these people are my friends, and they just don't know it yet. That's the only thing.
0: Um, I totally have so many of those friends, and I'm still working on it. And one day they're going to be like, "Oh my gosh, how come it has taken me so long? You are so kick-ass and wonderful." And I'm like, "No
1: shit, they would be lucky to be friends with us, and they just haven't figured that out yet."
0: Totally, I know. I'm just waiting, waiting for totally. it. <laughs> Amen. Uh, Okay, if you weren't a mu- musician, what would you be doing?
1: Oh, something with animals for sure. Like some kind of like rescue mission for animals. All of well, our goats are not rescues, but all of our animals outside of that are rescues, including our pony. Oh wow. Mm-hmm.
0: <clears throat> that pony video. Yeah, so I have
1: huge, huge heart for animals. I just love them. They make. I mean, they make me cry. I like literally stand there with my pony or my dog or whatever. And I just cry. I'm like, okay, what is this? What is this that makes me do this? This isn't normal. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just love them. They are. Yeah. They just
0: come with no judgment and yeah. Just show up. I've learned so many lessons
1: from animals, honestly.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you, you have the choose your legacy movement, what legacy are you going to leave when you are no longer here?
1: Uh, when I'm no longer here, the legacy that I pray to God that I am living every single day and leaving is you are not your family's decisions. I don't have kids. So I am doing work overtime to help spread that to anybody I come in contact with, especially if they're young, Um, just empowering people to understand that, like, we all go through the shit life is not an easy thing. It was never promised to us that it was going to be easy and it's not going to be easy then now or in the future. And it's up to us to have the wherewithal and the strength to be like, okay, that's cool. And I got this and I'm going to turn it and I'm going to use it as something else. Like shame on me. If I were to, use my mom's addiction as fuel for why I should be also allowed to be an addict. That's not permission. I have a job to do because no child right now, I lost my mom in 2017 to addiction. That should not be the reality. And it is too often too many kids lose their moms or dads or family members or whatever to addiction. And that is something that I think this world would be better off without. Um, and I'm not saying I can change it single-handedly, but I definitely can keep talking about it because, um, you don't have to do what your family's always done. You don't.
0: Mm. Yes, that is, um, such an incredible note to, to end off because we don't get to choose what family we're born into, what our parents, um, bring to the table, what traumas, what, you know, but like you said, you do get to choose where you go with it. You could have easily, um, chose to carry on the same legacy, I guess, so to say, right. But you chose differently for yourself and you are not a product of your family or, um, or their decisions that is so, 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 so powerful. And I know like being a teacher and, um, you know, seeing some of these kids that I just love on and want to like, you know, they just need love. And it is heartbreaking, Mm -hmm. uh, for me, like as a teacher and even before I had my little guy, I have two older guys like that. Just need the love knowing that some people aren't in a place that, you know, our addiction is such, um, a dark place that they Mm -hmm. aren't in a place where they can love on their own children and the way they need to be loved on. So I just, Oh, that just sticks with me knowing that these kids are going to be able to make that choice and have a beautiful life, regardless of where, where it started. And I think as a kid,
1: it's hard to understand that they want to, they just can't. Mm -hmm. My mom wanted to until her last breath. She wanted to, she just couldn't. And I get that now, but like trying to navigate through that up until this part of my life has been like another kind of hell, you know, Mm -hmm. they just can't. So it's people like me and you and other people that get that, that we can kind of help, make up for the difference and help them understand that that doesn't have to be their life.
0: Mm -hmm. I love that. Okay. Lastly, where can everyone find you and check out all of the amazing stuff that you have going on?
1: Well, when we have conversations like this, I feel a little bit like a Heinz 57. Like I feel like Jack of all trades, master of none, but hopefully I'm doing something worthwhile for everybody. So here's the laundry list. So I am a musician. Obviously, I have an album out. So if you listen to music anywhere, you can find that album, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, all the places. Um, I also spend a considerable amount of time, although now limited due to screen time limitations that I set on myself uh, on Instagram. Um, That's Sarah Faith underscore music. And also I'm on TikTok where there's a lot of pony content (laughs) at just Sarah Faith music without the underscore. Um, I'm also on Facebook. And I suppose that's it. <laughs> and I also have a website if you're interested in checking that out.
0: Love it. So many places. Um, thank you so much for sharing your story. You are welcome. Um,
1: thank you for having me. What a blessing. Thank you for doing this podcast. Um, I think it's super important what you're doing and the people that you're having on. I know some of the other people that you've had on. So um, kudos to you, Candice. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you for joining me on today's episode of All Things Relatable. If you know someone that would relate to this episode and get value from it, please pass it along. Also, if this episode resonated with you, I would love for you to rate, review, and subscribe.